happened here? A village on Himigami Island has been destroyed by giant birds. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a podcast that looks at movies in a franchise one film at a time. The theme song you just heard was written and performed by Mark with the C, and we're a proud member of the Battleship Retention Podcast fleet. Check out other great film and TV podcasts at battleshipretention.com. We're looking at a new franchise of films for us, the Gamera Trilogy from the 90s. We're starting off with the 1995 film Gamera Guardian of the Universe. I'm Matt. With me is Thrasher. Hello, Tokyo! You've been wanting to do one of these, uh, kaiju is what they call it, but it's like the Japanese monster movie series for a while. Yes, I've I've wanted, like a lot of things, this is something I've wanted us to do since the sequel cast began, and I'm wow. so happy we're finally getting to it. So you're saying then that it's been, um, you know, practically 200 episodes of bitter disappointment <laughs> <laughs> until this moment. Oh. oh yes, I've resented every moment of it. I've plotted to kill you and take over the show. But now all is forgiven. You know, when you send a, an, an email to me from Poison.com and the subject line is, hey, it's Will, uh, I, I tend to not click those. But I don't know. If you can get Poison to seep through my mouse through the Internet, you're a, a, a more skilled man than I. Oh, actually, no. If you click the link, uh, you're taken to a page where you're exposed to a basilisk hack, and then you die of an aneurysm five minutes later. Well, if you're going to go go out with a bane... Or a fall. That's what Tony Scott did. The late Tony Scott. All right. Gamera, Guardian of the Universe. Um, did you see this in theaters? No. To the best of... Like, if this came out in theaters in the United States, I did not hear about it. I, the first time I saw this was, I think, the year after it came out in Japan. Uh, a, uh, a dubbed version of it showed up on uh, a cable network uh, when I was home for... Uh, I was home for something, I guess spring break, uh, and I just... I devoured it. I'm a, I'm a long-time uh, Gamera fan. I first saw... I think it was Gamera vs. Zegra uh, in the mid-1980s, and that's really what turned me on to the original Mutant Turtle. Right, yeah, you know, you think of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, and this is, he's not a ninja, but he's certainly, you know, big and shoot. I mean, it, the original Gamera, which I haven't seen that film, but it was released after Godzilla and was trying to, to cash in on that boom of big uh, monsters stomping on buildings. Yeah, and, 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 and since then, Gamera has kind of always played second fiddle to Godzilla. Is a poor man's Godzilla a fair description of Gamera? Um, not the first film, but certainly the later films of the original 1960s Gamera movies. They, they're kind of, they, they, they start out pretty decent, they get better, and then they take a weird nosedive around the time that, for some reason, someone in the, behind the production of these movies decided that Gamera should be the friend of all children. Hmm. Because that's what they did with the most recent live-action Gamera film. Uh, the uh, Gamera the Brave, yes. Right. Um, which we're not going to talk about because we're just doing the standalone 90s trilogy. We don't want to do two months of Gamera 
I'm the sure, High Side trilogy. I'm sure they'd be fun. The High Side trilogy, right? With his first one, Gamera, Guardian of the Universe. You know, I first heard of Gamera in 2006. I was working for a uh, a store that sold uh, new and used movies called Movie Stop. It's owned by the same people that own GameStop, and uh, you see them every once in a while in the South. It's literally a warehouse full of used movies, a pretty neat selection. But anyway, we had uh, this trilogy of Gamera films on a DVD set that was out of print and pretty rare at the time. We might even have had a bootleg version for sale. I don't remember. But there is a man in his late 30s that, um, how do I say this? Mentally, he was uh, like, like... clearly learning disabled but boy howdy did he love gamera he would start like shaking and 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 slobbering and boy and like i, I really like gamera it's my favorite Ooh, you have it i gotta buy it and anytime a copy of a gamera movie would come in whether he bought it the week before or not he just wanted to have the biggest uh gamera collection of all time so he was very passionate about it i never heard about it i could tell from the box art it was a godzilla kind of thing so, um, in doing research for this uh, film before I watched it, Gamera Guardian of the Universe, I was shocked to see that the Roger Ebert reviewed this. Yeah, I had no idea that uh, that he had covered that. I mean, I know he see he when he was active, he saw so many films, but I I, I had had no idea he did a kaiju review. I have a feeling when this was in theaters, it might have only been in New York and L.A., or it might have just done the film festivals. Or maybe Could it might be. have been like in Atlanta as well, like whatever some of the a few of the top cities, but certainly wasn't a huge, big push. But and I'm going to just read a few sentences from uh, Roger Ebert's review. And you have to keep in mind, Roger Ebert. I think he could be pretty hard on movies, but every once in a while he'd give a high rating to a film. He that you might be surprised. So Gamera Guardian of the Universe, he gave three out of four stars. Cool. And I think this paragraph basically says it all. I'm going to read uh, the first half of it. There's a learning process that moviegoers go through. They begin in childhood without sophistication or much taste, and, for example, like Gamera more than Air Force One, develop um, because flying turtles are obviously more entertaining than United States presidents. Then they grow older, develop taste, and prefer Air Force One, which is better made, has big stars, and a more plausible plot. Isn't it more believable, after all, that a president could single-handedly wipe out a planet load of terrorists than a giant turtle could spit gobs of flame? Then, if they continue to grow older and wiser, they complete the circle and return to Gamera again, realizing that while both movies are preposterous, the turtle movie has the charm of utter goofiness, and in an age of flawless special effects, it somehow is more fun to watch flawed ones. I I think I've got to agree with that. Uh, I love I love an honest movie, and damn it, this is an honest movie. The effect, most of the effects are practical effects. There's you can just see so much craft in this movie, and I just, I love it warts and all. You know, as silly as as many people might might think it is. I, although I prefer not to think of it as, as silly, I prefer to think of it as absurd. Would you say tonally this film is similar to earlier films in the series, or uh, it's similar? It's similar to the uh, to the uh, the it's it's to- tonally it's uh, it's similar to the uh, original Gamera from uh, 1965. Uh, I'm actually double checking which uh, double checking which one came out after and that particular series. 
Well, after Gamera and 65, there is Gamera versus Baragon. Ah, uh, yes, Gamera then, versus Baragon. Yeah. It's also similar. It's also similar in tone to that. After Gamera versus Baragon, the series got increasingly silly. But isn't the bad guy in uh, Gamera Guardian of the Universe, Gaios, sort of like the ultimate Gamera bad guy? Sort of like the Mecha Godzilla. Yeah, it's the, the most series. iconic and the most well-known of the original Gamera villains. Uh, it also shows up, Gaios also shows up in both Gamera versus Gaios and Gamera versus Gulion. Okay. And Gaios is like a giant sort of hybrid of a bat and a bird. Looks more like a bat to me, but the, the head kind of looks like a bird. It's sort of like an armor-plated bat pterodactyl creature. Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, design. And... I think with this film, I mean, right off the bat, half of these, and I, I've seen several of the Godzilla films. I've seen probably a dozen of them, which there's several more than a dozen of those out there. But even the opening, you can tell with Gamera, Guardian of the Universe, that they're respecting their roots because it starts with a battleship out in the ocean, in this case off the coast of the Philippines. And they say, oh, we're getting strange readings and you see the rate, the close-up of the radar. I mean, that's such a typical opening of this kind of film. It lets you know exactly the tone they're going for, what you're going to see. It takes about 30 minutes before you see Gamera for the first time. Actually, I timed... Uh, I actually wrote down numbers. It is uh, 31 minutes and 20 seconds before we actually see all of Gamera. Right. We only catch fleeting glimpses, which is actually something I, I really like. One, I like a movie that takes its time. But, you know, two, I like that the movie doesn't blow its giant turtle load immediately, <laughs> that we actually build to the reveal of the new Gamera. It's nice. I mean, you got to consider when this came out in 95, uh, it had been 15 years since there had been a Gamera film. So by comparison... That's about the length of time, roughly, between uh, Return of the Jedi and Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Well, let's also keep in mind, though, that uh, Gamera Super Monster, the last of the old Gamera films, was mostly stock footage and recycled footage from earlier movies. Sure. So you can say then it, it was even, you know, 24 years since the last real Gamera film, Gamera vs. Zegra. Yep. So taking all that into consideration and what you know thrasher you're the one that's more skilled here with your gamma knowledge and you're the one that suggested this series is anything in the plot of this similar to uh gamma versus gaios from 1967 well the most of the most of the stuff with uh with you know gaios is gaios is this weird prehistoric uh sonic laser blasting monster that sh that shows up in Tokyo and wants it's like I believe it's like released from a volcano uh volcano cave and you know wants wants to reproduce and take over the surface of the earth and Gamera takes Gaios down not because Gamera in in that point of the series was any kind of hero but for the classic kaiju reason of he's an apex predator and cannot tolerate the presence of another apex predator in its territory and so there's a certain amount of this. I guess like this movie, story-wise, is kind of a nice hybrid between the original Gamera, the original Gamera movie, and Gamera versus Gaos. How, uh, however, they do they do retool Gamera's origin story. How so? 
Well, in the original Gamera, Gamera was just this ancient prehistoric monster that was sealed in a glacier that got that gets released and reinvigorated by a hydrogen bomb. Uh, and it's a uh, it's a thermo Gamera is a thermivore. Gamera feeds off raw heat energy and uh, things like that. Uh, in this new series, if, if you haven't seen this uh, series of films, in this new series, Gamera is actually a uh, an engineered life form created by an extinct civilization. Uh, that was actually created to destroy the Gaios, who were uh, something that was also created by that, which was also a creation of that ancient civilization that got completely out of hand. And that you get this backstory of the civilization, which also happens to match up with the legend of Atlantis, and that they're all Atlantis, different. the Murium, yeah. which I'm happy they mention all of them. It's, uh, I think that's a nice touch. It, as fantastical as this movie gets as it goes on, it kind of grounds it in a sense of mystery i like how the the humans in this film because i mean let's face it people watch these movies for the the monster fight scenes right yeah i mean that that's 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 the the meat that's what we come here for the the human care the human uh story elements are kind of the icing on the kaiju cake but i think the human elements in, in this scammer guardian of the universe film are very effective because it keeps things really simple well that's that's the thing that's the, the best kaiju movies do is that the human characters have just enough character and just enough story that they have the exact amount of character and story that the movie actually needs they don't get over it's it's not like it's not like the american godzilla where there's sort of a love story and sort of a spy story that take over way too much of the film and what we really want to see is godzilla did you see the trailer for the new Godzilla film that's coming out? Yes, yes, I did. What did you think of that? Okay, that's a very, very impressive trailer. I'm still not convinced that there's an impressive movie to back that up. It definitely I, looks like they're going for a Cloverfield sort of vibe. Although I am I am happy that Godzilla looks like Godzilla. Yeah, you get a really brief uh, glimpse of it, that's for sure. Although speak, speaking of like uh, old and new monsters, uh, the the new Gamera, I really like the new the new Gamera. They keep all the iconic elements of the character design. They do make him look a little more organic, a little less puppety and floppy. I certainly I certainly like the the more natural shape to his shell. The only thing I don't like about this new Gamera character design is that I think the eyes are too big. I mean, they just look buggy. They look like he's constantly surprised mm. at whatever's happening in front of him. I think I like the design of Gaios more than Gamera. It's a more dynamic design. I'll give you that. It is, and although have you considered have you considered how symbolic those designs are? I mean, you can kind of see in one way one design is a mirror of the other. They both sort of have like a beak-like mouth. They both well, shoot I... lasers. They both except they they can fly in their own way. Well, what I see, because when I look at that, what I see, when I look at Gaios, I see, I see the arrow, I see the sword, I see the wedge, I see the the shape of aggression. But with mm. Gamera, I see the shield, uh, I see right. the wall, I see yep. the the mound and the rock, I see symbols of protection. And whether you know I, whether it really runs that deep, I, I in that way, I do feel that this film is speaking to something very archetypal. Absolutely, and it keeps with sort of the goes into the Atlantean legend. If they go on, I, I like that. You know, if this if they did an American version of this same story, you would have you would still have the girl that has these Atlantean stones 
that somehow uh, telepathically link her to Gamera. And yet, in this film, in this uh, Gamera Guardian of the Universe that we're talking about, you know, they don't really explain that much or why that is. Well, yeah, well, because like they they trust the audience to understand that the girl's Magatama, the the st- or the stone psychically links her to Gamera, and that's how it works. Like, they kind of expect you to be sort of genre literate about psychic links, which I like, because it saves you a lot of exposition. But uh, also, because I even had that thought, too, that if this movie was made in America, it would open with, like, a majestic shot of of something, and then you'd hear voiceover, I once heard a legend <laughs> about an ancient protector. And then there'd be this a totally unnecessary voiceover explaining the movie's premise to you. And it would be almost word for word something another character would say about halfway through. I think, never start your movie with that kind of narration and never have a prophecy in your movie. Not just that. I think like it would be like the new, uh, the new Superman movie, Man of Steel, where the first 20 minutes or this prequel origin of uh, Gamera and Gaios, not that it really matters, in the end. And then when they would retell the story, they would use like really fast cut clips of this 30 minute prologue you already saw. Oh yeah. You know, a little quick close up of Gamera and being the, whatever the screaming noise is. Oh, that's actually uh, something else I want to applaud them for. They use the classic Gamera and Gaio sound effects for, for their noises. They, Oh, that's nice. They're only slightly. I think. I think they're only changed to sound a bit more resonant. But those are the original sound effects. It's kind of like how Godzilla's roar has pretty much been unchanged since the beginning. I like that they preserved the original Gamera sounds. Do you prefer watching these kind of movies in uh, the original Japanese or in dubbed English? I I gotta admit, I I kind of prefer watching them dubbed. Uh, one because that is the way I was first introduced to them, and there is something kind of fun and nostalgic for me about dubbing, especially when it's cheesy or inaccurate. Uh, and well, I guess that is the I guess that is uh, the main reason that that and you know, and I've said this about about anime. I do like to watch this movie, not read it. I, I don't like dividing my attention between visual and text if there's a if there's an alternative. Yeah, I think you know the dub isn't too crazy. It's not that poorly done, I guess. Well, it's not it's not too poorly done. Uh, it's it's certainly I think it is it is several stages better than what you would get in the classic Gamma films. For instance, there's no inexplicable southern accents that characters have for some reason. <laughs> Um, you know, less you know, yeah. awkward dialogue to fill in mouth movements. But there are a couple of weird quirks. Like among them, the the scientist's daughter, the the, the teenage girl who has who has the psychic link to Gamera, she sounds like a thirty eight year old chain smoker. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Like everything out of her mouth. Oh, I've been there. Yeah, I think I'm they're trying. Yeah, you. no, she she's an old soul. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's how she's psychically linked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the most ridiculous dub in this kind of film I saw was a theatrical version of, I believe it's called Godzilla 2000. Is that right? Oh, yes. With, with the with the UFO? Uh, yeah. The UFO, That's the, one I the UFO looks like a toilet seat. And in the theatrical dub, um, they got Australians <laughs> to dub all the English. Oh, which, yeah. Which Australia, thick Australian accents coming out of... Um, you know, the mouths of these uh, Japanese um, actors 
it is very hilarious. And also in that theatrical version of Godzilla 2000, it says the end in big Godzilla green letters with a question mark at the end. And they, and they changed that for the home video release. And I think oh, they even redubbed it for the home video release because they were so embarrassed. I, I this we, I really don't like it when when Godzilla steals Gamera's thunder lizard. But I do have to get this one thing out that weird bit at the end of uh, of Godzilla two thousand where <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, okay but Godzilla has destroyed all of Tokyo so much death and yet we are alive perhaps there is some of Godzilla <laughs> in all of us yeah <laughs> what the hell is that. You get a uh, a similar memorable line at the ending of uh, this film, Gamera, Guardian of the Universe, where uh, two characters are, are talking and they said, but you know, I, I, I'm sure there's more aliens that will deposit more eggs around around Earth. And the scientist says, oh no, not again. Will Gamera be there to protect us? And they say, if he, de- you know, something along the lines of, if we deserve it. Yeah. Although I'm not entirely sure if Gamera is equipped to judge. I think Gamera just eliminates threats. I think before we wrap up our discussion on this film, let's talk about our website at SequelCast.com. So if you go to SequelCast.com, it's uh, the home to the SequelCast network, which is not just the home for the SequelCast, which is what you're listening to, but also our spinoff shows like uh, Video Game SequelCast. We cover video game franchises sequel commentary which is audio commentary on cult films and uh, much much more we got all the library of uh you know i think you combine all the series and i think we've probably done 200 episodes all together something like that. this is episode i need to actually do the count and post it on our facebook page at facebook.com slash sequel cast but this is episode 165 of the sequel cast and we've been doing this since late 2009 if you can believe it that's pretty cool so by November 2014, it'll be our fifth anniversary. That is the bread anniversary, if I am correct. I wish it was the butter. Um, if you'd like <laughs> to help out the show, go to Secret And you Cast. do. And of course you do. Uh, we had a, a, a fan of the show, and actually she was um, my girlfriend in high school, Carrie. Oh. Hi, if you're listening. Uh, she donated to us, which is very generous. But if you go to SequelCast.com... And click the donate button. You can donate via PayPal. And we appreciate anything we can get. It costs not a lot of money, but some money to run a podcast. So uh, we also, if you want to watch the film we're talking about, uh, on the left there, if you scroll down, we got Amazon links to rent a film as an instant streaming rental. It's usually between uh, $1.99 to $2.99. So it's pretty good video quality. I thought I've done that before. And... uh, it's good in a pinch because there's not that many video rental stores around, especially if you're in the United States or in uh, a lot of Europe. I know they have that same problem. So how do you find these old movies where well, you can get them as a uh, digital rentals off uh, our Amazon.com links on there? So that's appreciated. And I'd like to make a little bit of a plug for myself here. Go out ahead. If you happen to be in uh, the Portland, Oregon area, or Wilsonville, Oregon more specifically don't mind driving out to Wilsonville, you can catch me every Tuesday hosting a pub quiz for Geeks Who Drink, an eight-round, 64-question pub quiz from 8 to 10 p.m. on Tuesdays at the Ram in Wilsonville, Oregon. So I think I've just started doing that. I think it's a a lot of fun. If you 
come up and say, hey, I heard you from, uh, I know you from the sequel cast, you'll get a special handshake. A special wink, wink, nudge, nudge, handshake, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, suggestively? The very same. <laughs> so I think that does it for our plugging. Let's go back and talk about Gamera, Guardian of the Universe. Okay, so there's there's lots of cool things in this movie. Like for instance, the 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 plaque when when they think Gamera is an island or an atoll, as they say in the dubbing, or atoll. Uh, there's that there's that plaque of rune stones on his back, and that's actually really cool because it looks it looks like those flute, those uh, uh, futark cipher rune stones that you'll see in Sweden. Hmm. There's a lot of neat sort of production design going on there. Also, and you don't often see, and, and you don't often see this in uh, kaijo movies, is they actually give you very specific measurements for how big Gamera is very early on in the film. Uh, his shell is 60 meters long and 40 meters wide at its widest point. And it looks like they keep all, at least as near as I can estimate, they actually stay true to that measurement throughout the rest of the film. Wow. Uh, the thing I appreciated about the monster fights in this is a lot of them are in daylight. You can clearly see what's going on. It's not edited, especially in a rapid fashion. And in the daylight, oh, you can pick out all the, the fine, fine detail. And on the Blu-ray, you get to see the detail even better of uh, Oh, I know. The, these the, model, the model work and the costumes are just so wonderfully detailed. Uh, so, Oh, and something else I like... Um, Early in the film, when they try to capture Gaius in the, the Gaius in the stadium by leaving by leaving out sort of sides of beef to lure them in, I like how when it shows the soldiers laying out the sides of beef, the sides of beef look kind of kind of fake, but they still but they look exactly like the miniature sides of beef. So as a result, in totality, it looks more realistic. <laughs> That's a nice consistency there. I. I mean, the, the final fight you have in here between Gamera and Gaios is hilarious, especially when they go into space. Oh, I love that. I love that that's, that's how balls out of far they go. Is you know, It's actually leaving Earth's atmosphere for part of the fight. And those wide shots where they shoot into the atmosphere are so terrible. It's like they take a cutout drawing and just move it up, but that's fine. They're like, you know, we don't need to spend the money showing how he gets to space. We need to spend money on the close-up where they punch each other or well, toss him into a building or a tree. Well, it's a like when they get in space and fly in front of the sun, Gaios, like, spreads his wings and does a little Batman thing in front of the sun. Yeah. It's a, you can tell they, they must have had a lot of fun watching this film. And, no, and no, making the film. Making yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, just... Oh, you know what my fa- my favorite line is is when okay, there's a character I never I forget his name, but I just started referring to him as Japanese Clark Kent. But there's that line he has: "We've already got three 15 meter monsters." <laughs> it's that's pretty good. I think also in here you have oh uh, one one scene near the end of the film that really surprised me is you, you get the symbiotic relationship between the young girl and Gamera. And there's a scene where Gamera gets hit and he, and he bleeds green. And then the girl bleeds, you know, red blood out of her arm. Mm-hmm. And no one seems to care that she's bleeding. Everyone's concerned about Gamera. Well, no one seems to notice. Uh, 
and that's another thing about their psychic link. Like whenever Gamora gets blasted or cut up, you know, she she suffers a similar bleeding injury. But whenever Gamora falls from from a great height and crashes into something, she's always completely unaffected. It's a neat relationship between the two, and I'm glad it's not dwelled upon. They even bring it back for uh, at least one of the sequels. But we'll save that for that one. Right. Oh, there, having if having not seen the original Gamera movies, and this kind of tickled me as as yes. a fan of the classic Gamera, there's a hallmark of the original Gamera series that they brought back, and that's that it's not officially a Gamera movie unless there's a scene about two people arguing about the price of fish. Really? That's a and weird... And we get such a scene 40 okay. minutes ago. So that's one of those weird things that they... Is an in joke they have in every film, every, uh, yeah, every real a, film. It's so bizarre, I, and I don't exactly know why. I mean, I guess because there's always been kind of an env- an environmental protect the seas uh, message in a lot of Gamera films. But yeah, there's always a scene about at least two people talking about the price of fish. Uh, there's a uh, there's a, a very memorable one in Gamera versus Gaos. There and it reached it reached its peak in Gamera versus Zegra. In Gamera versus Zegra, it's like ten minutes of these. Three people arguing about the price of fish. Hmm. Oh, and speaking of the environmental message, we get the environmental message uh, one hour and six minutes into this movie. Environmental messages are pretty common in kaiju films. Very true. I mean, well, because that's the thing is the the kaiju, they really are forces of nature. Woken up by man's need to destroy himself. Usually a nuclear weapon or plutonium or... Well, well, that's always it's always the the balance because sometimes mankind has nothing to do with the reason the monster awakens. It just does, like a natural disaster, right? And so you know you have the problems that man makes for himself, the problems that the natural world can inflict on mankind, and there's you know civilization caught in the middle. And what is it going to do? And in this case, they use surface. Uh, they use uh, SAM missiles, which is redundant because the M in SAM stands for missile. Yep. That was just something I kept noticing. They kept saying SAM missiles. Like, no, it's already there. <laughs> oh, did you notice? Again, this is my weird eye for detail. Did you notice that the uh, the girl with the psychic link? She had a Japanese Mary Poppins poster in her bedroom. I did not. Yes, yeah, it's it's. it's uh, is it Julie, Julie Andrews yep. in the uh, when she, wearing the outfit she wears when they're inside the chalk drawing? But it's all in it's all in Japanese. I guess there was a revival. I guess so, or maybe she just collects old Disney movie posters. Could be. The world may never know. Well, what would you rate Gamera, Guardian of the Universe, out of five stars? I, you know, I had so much fun rewatching this for the sequel cast. I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it four and a half. Oh wow! It okay. is. It is just for me. It is. I mean, it's a very good kaiju movie, and it is just shy of absolute greatness. And, uh, partly because I never quite get the full-on battle royale. Like you know, I, I wanted. I wanted to see Gamera fight three full-grown Gaios, not just the one full-grown Gaios. I think that's right. for me. That's what would push it up to five. I will give Gamera Guardian of the Universe. Four out of five stars. I think it it was much better than I was expecting. I, I was pleasantly surprised. And yet, you could have used, um, I think, a fight earlier in the film. And although the final fight is is fun, I, I, I think, yeah, the scale should have been 
bigger, or maybe, you know, near the end of the fight, Gaios splits into two Gaios giant monsters or something. Uh, Could have been cool. I, I just wanted more, I guess, is my big complaint. So I, I obviously liked it. So let's play Pitch a Sequel. Let's pretend, you know, because, uh, I mean, this film was a huge hit when it came out in Japan. So let's pretend this is, uh, we're doing a sequel just to this film and no other sequels were made to Gamera, Guardian, and the Universe. I have one in mind. Go right ahead. All right. So I would have it pick up 20 years later, the little girl that had the stones in Gamera, Guardian, and the Universe now has a daughter of her own who goes, um, you know, looking in the in her mom's closet, trying on her mom's dresses and everything, and, and she notices a little box in the corner with these strange... Uh, etchings and a, and a big letter G on it amidst all the, the etchings in some Atlantean text. And she opens it and finds uh, the same stones her mother used to, to bond with Gamera when her mother was a child. And not knowing what to do, she just picks up the stones and she, the daughter is, is compelled. It's like uh, Paul Atreides putting on the spice suit correctly in Dune. She knows ah, exactly what to do. The, the, the sleeper stones, will awaken. The sleeper will awaken, exactly. The stones glow they even glisten a little, and um, popping in, running at full speed through the side of the house, knocking down a wall, is Gamera. And Gamera can't speak English, but he he sees the girl and his eyes widen. He sees some recognition, and he sees the mother comes in, hears that part of her house has been apartment has been knocked down, and she's upset, but sees Gamera and her eyes widen. And uh, what I'm getting at here is this film would be called Gamera. It would be called Bride of Gamera. <laughs> the little girl from Gamera guarding the universe. Gamera has come back for the sole purpose of marrying her and to be the protector of her daughter. Okay. And so as you have a sort of madcap father of the bride style uh, marriage comedy, you also have Kaiju married into this concept. You have, um, it's sort of a battle royale. All of Gamera's greatest foes, except for Gaios, plan to ruin Gamera when he's most vulnerable, when he's emotionally vulnerable at his wedding. Oh, they, they want They want to crash it. And Gamera manages to fight them off. He even teaches some, uh, he makes some makeshift kaiju outfits for the daughter and his bride-to-be <laughs> to wear to somehow augment their strength. And he fights them all off. And then uh, he's ready for the marriage. He's, you know, Gamera gets in his uh, turtle tuxedo. And the priest turns around. And all of a sudden, you, you hear this familiar scream. It's not just any priest. It's Gaios is the priest. And you get one final battle royale <laughs> as Gamera finally gets to have his bride. And uh, as Gamera and the bride start their their wedding night, you hear the song on the soundtrack, So Happy Together by the Turtles, as credits roll. <laughs> Bride of Gamera is my pitch a sequel. You know, I'm imagining Gaos in, like, the collar and frock of a priest. Yes. Well, like, I think it would look kind of like, like, you would just see the back of it, and you'd see kind of the waves poking out of the back of the frock, but Gamera wouldn't notice. He, he's surrounded by all his uh, foes throughout the years. You know, he's being... Uh, He's being smacked on all sides by a virus and 
Jiger and Zegra. <laughs> well, I guess my pitch of sequel is gonna be uh is gonna be uh Gamera Blood Sea. So, you know, we're gonna we're gonna we're going to go and we're going to continue to repurpose classic Gamera monsters for this new Gamera series. All right. So this one, we're going to bring back Zegra. Now, Zegra, ancient, you know, Zegra is a scout for some race of ancient alien somethings, uh, comes to Earth, but uh, is, uh, his ship crashes and he goes into hibernation under the ocean. Uh, and, you know, this is possibly like shortly before or shortly after the ancients created Gamera. It'll be, it'll, we'll leave that uh, vague, but so that's, so that's where the ship has been all this time. Well, uh, an offshore oil rig releases Zegra, the fish, this, you know, a fish shark monster from his hibernation. So Zegra decides, well, time to, now that I'm back and awake, time to take over the earth. Uh, however, uh, one of Zegra's powers was mind control, and that's still, you know, that's still going to be here. You know, one of the more horrific things Zegra does is he can sort of release a mind control wave that compels people on coastlines to just walk into the ocean, drown themselves, and be eaten. Well, Zegra wants to well and truly take over the world. He knows that the human race might try to stop him, so he needs to communicate with the human race, and how does? And he can only do that through a human that he can psychically link with. And the most conveniently located psychically active human is, of course, Asagi Kusanagi, the girl, uh, the girl with the bee that gives her the psychic link of Gamera. So repeatedly throughout the film, she keeps getting more or less possessed by Zegra and delivering ultimatums. And there's almost a battle as both Gamera and Zegra are trying to stay linked uh, to this girl. And at one point, Zegra even attempts to mind control Gamera through, uh, through Asagi. Uh, finally, though, uh, you know, in the end, Asagi's able to fight off the mind control just long enough for Gamera to make a full-on assault against Zegra, and it's another amazing battle that is under sea, in the air, and on land. We hit all the big environments, uh, and it ends with the biggest fish boil you have ever seen. I see where you, what you did there. Okay. Um, let's talk about some sequel news. Is there any current news about movie sequels or remakes that... Tickles your fancy. Yes, Terry Gilliam's got a new film coming out, The Zero Theorem. Yes, yes. Uh, I I have seen the trailer. The trailer's out there. Uh, Christoph Valtz is in it. Uh, this this looks like the most Terry Gilliam, Terry Gilliam movie ever made. And he has not done a know. science fiction film in a while. Yeah, not since uh, 12 Monkeys in 1995, correct? God, has it been that long? Wow, that's almost 20 years ago, yeah. I love, I love his take on science fiction. It, yeah, it's very imaginative. Like visually, certain designs you can always tell what it is. That's and and yet, don't all of his science fiction movies seem to take place in the same world as the Super Mario Brothers movie? <laughs> they do. It's kind of that <laughs> steampunk, uh, kind of dark, but like kind of whimsical at the same time. <laughs> but no, like I'm just, I'm, I'm just so, I'm so excited. One that he's getting, a, that he's making another movie, and two that it's this movie, right? And the whole, like the whole thing with the, the trailer, like I kept, I kept thinking that it was like Christoph Valtz is so in character. I kept thinking that it was, uh, I kept thinking that I was seeing John Malkovich. But, I, but I say that only in the best possible way. I don't mean that as a dig against the film. Right, I think you know Christoph Waltz would be pretty exciting to see in a Gilliam film. I, I, 
need to catch up on a lot of his filmography, but I think the last one I saw that he did was the Dr. Parnassus, which I thought was okay. Have you seen Lost in La Mancha? Oh, that documentary. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Are you I supposed to be still trying to make that, but... I'd, I would I would love to see that film made. Now that I know understand his concept for it, I think that would be a wonderful film. Well, if you happen to look at um, the classic episodes of the sequel cast, you might remember, I think this was in our second or third year, we did... Um, what is it? We did the Ninja Turtles films, right? Oh, yes. And have you heard they're doing a uh, a live-action Ninja Turtles film where the Ninja Turtles are motion capture animated, but everything else yes. is live-action? I've seen the motion capture suits, and I've seen I've seen the, photo, the merchandise photos that came out of the Turtles Halloween costume, and I've also seen photos of what are supposedly maquettes of what the CGI Turtles are going to look like. Have you seen this photo of um, the poster? Uh, I which uh, I have not seen any poster. Okay, I'm going to paste this. Listeners, uh, listen to what this photo looks like. We're just going to describe it. All right, so I am uh, looking at here. Okay, yeah, this doesn't look appealing at all. I think if that's not an official poster, that's a damn good fake, because I think it looks... Well, this this does match the maquettes I saw. I guess, right. I guess this is this is how I, how I feel. First, the Turtles already have an iconic look. Why would you mess with that? But two... Well, they've, messed, unless, they've, unless they've, changed how the, make... they've changed how the Turtles looked in the comics throughout the years, in the cartoons throughout the years. Well, no, there, there is an archetypal look from the Turtles that all those versions have, have cleaved to. And I feel like if you're going to break that, the best thing you could do would be to make them look totally realistic, like the, that fan art where they try to make them look like real turtles. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, but this, like, I have the same problem. Again, this is assuming these are the actual way they're going to look. This could turn out to be a fake. Um, but the, I have the same problem with these as I do with the the live-action Transformers character designs needlessly complicated and needlessly different. I'm disturbed by uh, one thing on these designs, if this is indeed a real poster. The lips. Yeah, Yeah, they don't... With the exception of Donatello, none of them really look like turtles. They look like frogs. They look like like terror or death comes to Frogtown. Is it death comes to Frogtown or hell comes to Frogtown? I don't know. I know that's a movie about it. I don't know what the name is. We will assume it's hell comes to Frogtown with Rowdy Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. I mean, the lips look very uh, feminine, and then you get the, the slits on the nose, too, which is a bit weird. Um, you know, they're not using any big names to uh, voice the Ninja Turtles. Um, April O'Neil is played by Megan Fox. Who, who I guess, got over her... Got over... Uh the, whatever, whatever the tension was between her and Michael Bay, I guess she got over it, or they cut her a bigger check. Either way, I'm fine with it. Why? Yeah. Why does Donatello have glasses and goggles? It feels like we we got this guy's smart. We have to make him as nerdy as possible. There has to be a four eyes joke in there somewhere. He looks like he's got 
twelve eyes, judging by all the lenses on his goggles. Yeah, and Michelangelo looks looks like a woman. Yes. And I'm trying not to make that sound like a dig, but that is a feminine. That is a very feminine look for the character who is arguably the most masculine of the turtles. I'm also not sure what's up with the sort of Native American tribal armor that Leonardo is wearing. We'll just have to see what what they do with it. I'm curious how much humor they'll put in it, or if they're going to be kind of humorless. I'm sure it's going to be the worst kind of humor. You think they might even remove them eating pizza? Um, take that away. I'm sure there'll be some reference to them eating pizza. I'm just I'm just imagining there's going to be a scene where one of them has to urinate, and they turn around, and for some reason you hear a zipper right before the stream of urine is released. Which, now that I think about it, is a better class of joke than this movie is likely to have. How could you make that? How could you make that joke worse? Well, no, I, the other thing is, I actually think there's something absurdly brilliant about a turtle that has to unzip something before it, it urinates. There's something just delightfully absurd about that, and I think and I don't think this movie will be able to hit that kind of absurd sophistication. You don't think there's going to be a scene where Michelangelo eats prunes and then says, oh, I think I feel a, a turtle coming on. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. You don't and think I, there's sure... going to be a scene where April O'Neil has awkward sexual double entendres with the uh, Ninja Turtles. I bet that'll be there. Yep. Uh, I'm, also, I'm also imagining a joke about uh, that's t- about a tur- turtle waxing off. Oh, you mean not not just wax on, wax off? Not not, not a Karate Kid joke. But stop wax, yeah. stop waxing off, Michelangelo. A, a masturbation joke, which which they're very fond of in the uh, Transformers movies, as I understand it. Well, John Hughes had quite a few masturbation jokes in his films too. So yeah, but they were honest. Oh. They were they were about the all American masturbation experience. Michael Bay is the modern day John Hughes. How about we go with that? No, no, we will not. <laughs> There's, okay. there's no sweetness in, in, in Michael Bay. There's no gentleness in Michael Bay. Speaking you know, of Michael John, Bay, yes, go on. Well, just John, John, Hugh, John Hughes could be a hack, but he was a very sort of sweet, universal, nurturing hack in his worst moments. And his best moments were truly brilliant. Who could ever forget the live-action 101 Dalmatians with Glenn Close? Actually, that movie is kind of delightful. Or uh, Or Beethoven? I, I've made my feelings about Beethoven now. I just can't believe he wrote Home Alone 3, which is what we've talked about on the sequel cast. But it's, it's yeah, not... it, it comes right before the lost episode for Home Alone 4, which probably should remain lost. I think so, considering, yeah. It involved uh, me drinking and getting weepy for some reason. Uh, a lot of audio glitches because uh, Jersey Jason was on with his hamster-powered internet, and uh, <laughs> and so much more. But um, I got. I came live from my mother's sewing room. Right, <laughs> Jason, turn off the TV. What are you speaking into your magic box for? Oh, you don't know the half of it. Is that not an exaggeration? I, I've no, met no, his that, parents that's... once, but. It was quite I, some time ago. And I, I, I terribly nice I, I people. Love, 
I love his parents. They're great people. But that's what it's like 24 hours a day when you're with them. Okay. That is every exchange you will have with them. So uh, I was wondering, Thrasher, what have you been watching? I know you've had a stressful couple of weeks. Oh, it's been nuts. But I have I have seen a few things. Uh, the biggest thing I've seen, uh, I uh, have finally seen several episodes of the TV series Supernatural. Oh, what do you think about that? You know, my wife has caught up with that from the very beginning, like just this year. She's watched all 160-something episodes. Yeah, that's what my fiance is doing right now. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to say it. That's a good series. What makes it different from like um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Grimm or... Uh, Well, first, it strikes a much better balance between humor and horror. Uh, I also love that it's incredibly, not only is it actually very literate in terms of folklore, it's also very genre literate. There's an actor that plays a bad guy in the series who was like the smarmy bad guy in every 80s film. And I think he even plays Satan or something, but it's, um, I was surprised to see him in the show. Yeah, they get some really great cast. Robert, I just saw, there's a, there's an X-Files parody episode that stars Robert Picardo. From, oh, okay. From Star Trek Voyager and Explorers, which we talked about last week. Right. But no, it's good, and I, just, I like that it. I like that it can make fun of itself and have fun with its own premise. There's a, a there was a really good episode where it was done in the style of a cable ghost hunting show. The the idea being that what you're watching was an unaired pilot for a cable mm. ghost hunting show that the two main characters from Supernatural just sort of stumbled in on because they were investigating the same haunted house. Uh, there's also another – the X-Files episode. They actually redo the show's opening sequence to look like the opening sequence of the X-Files and they even do an X-Files version of the theme song. There's a – there's an episode about classic monster movie monsters that's all filmed in black and white and takes place in Oktoberfest, so everything looks like an old German town from Frankenstein. I've been watching the latest um, season of Community. Nice. A sitcom. And uh, did you see the episode last week? The uh, the Lava episode? Yeah, the Lava episode. It's the last episode, uh, supposedly, with Donald Glover's. Character. I bet he's going to show up by webcam at least once more because I can totally see them referencing the boat subplot from The Office where they did that. But yeah, but yeah, I saw it. I, I enjoyed it. That was one of the best episodes in Community in a long time, I think. Well, it really hit a lot. Well, I love I love it when Greendale kind of descends into into like another form of storytelling, just that weird sort of post apocalyptic lava world <laughs> that everyone got sucked into. And just like and the uh, the chair walkers and things, all I could think of was the wheelers from uh, Return to Oz. Yeah, there's some of that. There's some of uh, the Mad Max trilogy of films, I think, with um, all that going on. I did think. Oh, and Lavar Burton. Lavar Burton. That was a, a great surprise at the end of the episode. So yeah, I think that. I don't know if this will be its last season or not. Like, it keeps on doing not that well in the ratings, but then it sells really well on DVD and everything, so... If if there is money to be made, I'm sure it will get renewed for another season. I admit, I do miss Chevy Chase's Pierce, even though they never gave his character that much to do. Yeah, I, I kind of miss his presence, too, but I like the way his character was gradually, almost surgically removed from the series. Right. He apparently never liked working on the show that much, allegedly. 
And you never know, they could they could bring him back in like a parallel universe episode or as a ghost for a ghost episode. Or could all, if Starburns could fake his death, why can't Pierce? So yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been very pleased with this season. I'm still not used to the new old guy yet. Oh, from Breaking Bad? Yep. Oh, yeah. I, I actually, I like him, although I, I'm a, a big fan of Breaking Bad, so that's probably helped me with the transition. You know, they're smart in that they didn't make him a clone of Pierce or something. Oh, uh, yeah. He's very different. And, and I like I like his whole hobby of drawing uh, comic strips about ducks. Yeah. It's a different kind of humor with that character. I think he'll grow to like him more. I've been talking it, to some syndicates. As it goes on. So, well, right. What other business is there on the docket, Matthew? You know, I think that's it for this episode. Because we're going to record another, uh, we're going to record a video game sequel cast pretty soon after this one. So that that's behind the Ooh. scenes talk for you. Listeners. Inside baseball. Inside baseball. Um, I don't know why I said it like that because it's not funny. Uh, be sure to tune in next week where you can hear us talk about the second film in the Gamera Hasai trilogy, Gamera Two. It's known either as Attack of Legion or Advent of the Legion. Well, I'm sure I'm sure you and I will have our favorite version of the title, and we'll discuss that next week. But haven't you forgotten something? I always forget this. The Paul Goebel Memorial Mashup. Explain the rules to the listeners. <laughs> uh, I will take two different things and attempt to merge them together into one horrendous impression, and Matt and our guests have to guess what that impression is. So Hello. are you ready for this week's uh, Paul Goebel Show Memorial Mashup? As the Japanese would say, gambare. My mother was a saint. Anyway, so here, here is this week's mashup. <clears throat> hey, you want a snack? Don't worry. I've got, a gr- I've got some great food for you. First, I'm going to take this pig, and I'm feeding peanuts to it. Na, 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 na. Na 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 na, feeding peanuts to it. Na 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 na, na 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 na, feeding peanuts to it. All right, isn't that great? Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill this pig. Uh, cut off all the ham. Mmm, isn't this delicious? Oh, this is so good. Oh, it's so salty. Oh, you can call me the Fresh Prince of Isle of Wight County. So some of that is is Will Smith. I'm glad. I'm glad you recognize that as Mil- Will Smith because I didn't think I sounded a thing like him, despite my best efforts. The only uh, thing I could do right is, ha ha. Yeah, you know, I did not think you sounded like him, for the record. <laughs> but I, I did, you know, the na 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 na. I, I could tell that was a parody of getting jiggy with it. Now, all, all the ham business that I, I'm struggling to make the the connection. I, I was worried that I'd completely given it away. Uh, that was Will Smithfield Ham. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Good. Good. You know, I haven't. No, is Smithfield ham? Is that like a Virginia ham, where it's salty and almost like a jerky? Uh, it, it is. It is very salty. Yeah, uh, okay. I will completely give it. It's very salty. But one of the requirements of Smithfield ham is that the pig has to have been fed a diet consisting primarily of peanuts. Oh, I didn't know that, huh? That, so that and, you can act, and strangely enough, you can actually taste that in the ham. There's like a peanut. Hmm aura to it that your taste buds absorb um i absolutely love and adore smithfield ham i really really miss it i've been thinking about home recently it's just one of those things that reminds me of home although i am willing to concede that it might fit terry pratchett's definition of a local delicacy very good i but it's great it's 
Queen of Hams. Queen of Hams would be a fabulous name for a novel. <laughs> it's it's about a pork princess competition at a state fair. Queen of it, Hams. Chop- it's riding itself. Yep. Chapter one. They called me the king of hams, but they were wrong. I was not a king, but a queen. Not of anything, but of hams. Is this read by Alan Rickman? Yes. <laughs> As she opened her porcine curtains, I knew I was in for a salty surprise. Her bacon strip was sizzling, I can tell you. Little did I know... The, uh, she wasn't all cracked up to be. In fact, some people called her a bit of a pig, but that didn't stop me from porking her, if you get my drift. Let me tell you, this little piggy went downtown. And she didn't go up until she finished, if you know what I mean, because I sure don't. Queen of Hams, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Queen of Hams. It's so good, it'll straighten your tail. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I don't know why that disturbs me more than all the other things. Yeah. <laughs> all the well, other pe- ham sex innuendos. Definitions um, of taste. <laughs> we, like, that may have cost us all of our listeners, but also earned us a whole new crop of listeners. Donate to the sequel cast. Go to sequelcast.com, click on the donate button to help us out. Donate via PayPal. Uh, again, theme song by Mark with the C. Check them out, markwiththec.com. Part of the Battleship Pretension fleet. Check out that, battleshippretension.com. So, i got to ask you. Yes. At the end of the movie, when there was that huge fire, fiery explosion that Gamera absorbed into his body to power up his final attack, did you hear the touch play in your head during that scene? No, but, I mean, I could tell, you know, the little girl is going to help him power through it. We, we need a cut of that. We need a cut of that scene, but with the touch from the Transformers soundtrack overlaid onto it. I don't think that would be that hard. I did find a, a YouTube video I uploaded back in 2006 that has almost like 200,000 views on it now. Oh? And it's a clip of uh, Stallone singing from Rhinestone. Budweiser, you've created a monster, and they called him Drinkenstein. <laughs> and it's a good thing that doesn't have any sequels. Yeah, that video certainly has over... Yeah, over 125,000 views. Well, there you go. Um, I'm internet famous for posting a clip of someone else's film. My original videos continued to go ignored. Okay. So <laughs> point. Point. Tune in to next week where we talk about the second film of the Gamera High C Trilogy. High C Trilogy from the 90s. Gamera 2, Advent of the Legion or Attack of the Legion, depending on where you're from. Like Rocky and Bullwinkle. Tune in next time. You can follow me on Twitter at SequelCast. You can follow me at Internet Mayor. So, for the SequelCast, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying, Gamera will protect us if we deserve it. Perhaps there is a little Gamera in all of us. The sequel cast is a hipster goblin production. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.